Hey there, and welcome to the very first episode of the Water People Podcast. Today, we're sitting at the feet of Kimmy Werner. Kimmy Werner, she's a U.S. national champion spearfisher and a chef. She's a righteous waterwoman by any standard, and Though her long breath holds and mighty catches make her seem invincible, it's Kimmy's raw vulnerability and aloha spirit of generosity that really make her a pillar of water womanness. We had the chance to catch up with Kimmy late last winter in the living room of her North Shore home, surrounded by her beautiful paintings and freshly fermenting vegetables. <laughs> That's right, yeah, chickens and... Uh the pigeons and all the other sounds of Hawaii that you hear and and just her location under these big trees that look like big fig trees or something and all the water gear, you know, strewn out in the yard and on the deck and hanging up and treasures from fossicking on the beach and everything just pointing at a really rich coastal life, you know, and it, that same kind of familiar feeling that you feel in a house of a friend here in Australia or in New Zealand or in Europe or Asia or anywhere where it's a deeply ocean-centric life being lived by that person and, and then shared is so cool mm. to feel those common threads like that and, and to also get a little insight into this woman who is so revered among watery circles, you know, like you talk with anyone in the surfing world who is a fan of deep water, you know, big waves or diving, and and they know who she is and they know what she can do. And it's all for good reason that Kimmy is really respected and well-known and that her abilities transcend just the diving community and have popularised her in the surfing culture as well. A lot of surfers know who Kimmy Sumi is and... Uh, she doesn't really surf. I remember the first time we met her in Australia, one of our buddies, Case, took her to go body surfing and she'd never even really body surfed. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so I think that speaks to her abilities in the ocean and that you don't have to surf to understand she is a gifted water woman. Mm. So that's why we met up with Kimmy on the north shore of Oahu to talk about losing love reckoning with fear, and the power of knowing where your food comes from. We began where we always do, by posing the question about a time or experience after which she was never the same. The Water People podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Sinook. They craft the comfiest footwear around and have been advocates for a more playful and inclusive surfing culture for more than two decades. Thanks, Sanook, for your support and for encouraging water people around the globe to protect their happy places. Learn more about Sanook's partnership with the Surfrider Foundation at sanook.com. Thanks also to Gary McNeil Concepts for their support in making the podcast possible. Gary McNeil shapes some of the quirkiest boards around and is constantly innovating with new board materials like hemp and flax to reduce the petrochemical footprint of his boards. Learn more at garymcnealconcepts.com. It's not going to sound very eventful, maybe. It's, you know, it has nothing to do with sharks or currents or life-threatening <laughs> things or anything like that. Um, but to me, like, that will always be the moment that I felt like saved my life not to... I guess not to be too dramatic, but that is how it feels to me. You know, I grew up tagging along with my dad, free diving and spearfishing. Oh, I grew up tagging along with him while he would go spearfishing and I would swim. And so it was a way that he put food on the table. We were really poor. He did it because that's how we survived. And he always teases that he let me tag along because he couldn't afford a babysitter. And once he did start making money, my mom, um, you know, she graduated 
from college at the age of, or she went to college, I think at 41, you know, that's by the time they had enough money to put her in a community college, she was 41. But then a few years after that, she had a college degree and they both started making money at the same time. And so basically our lifestyles changed dramatically. So even though, you know, I, I might've started off like at age of five or six, tagging along with my dad, getting food with my parents, you know, living that type of lifestyle. By the time I was seven, we had um, moved into a subdivision. We lived a very, you know, much more civilized life. All of our food came from stores and restaurants and and that's how I grew up. Um, so come full circle, at the age of, of 24, that was actually when I learned to spearfish. It wasn't something I did all my life. And what happened is I just, I could just feel this thing calling me back. I could just feel like, you know, no matter what I pursued in life, no matter what job I had, that every single time I felt like something was missing in my life, that I would just have these memories of tagging along with my dad. And so finally at 24, I stopped waiting for, you know, for something to fall on my lap. And I said, I'm going to go out. I'm going to learn how to do this. And, um, and I went out with, with just a three-pronged spear and, um, and tried to remember everything that my dad did. And I was able to just get some fish, you know. And, um, and basically, once I, got, once I got that feeling of being able to provide for myself, of being able to go in the ocean and come home like this lioness with her catch and cook it and whatnot, I just knew I'm never going to let go of this. And I got really, really into it. And, um, and soon I got mentors. I got really good at it. Um, and fast forward three years after that, my first time ever diving outside of Hawaii in my life was at the United States National Championships of Spearfishing, and I ended up winning it across the board. And that was like a dream come true, you know? It was just like this girl from Hawaii, like diving these cold waters of Rhode Island. I had no idea what I was in for, what I was doing. And, and it was the first time I had tried so hard for a goal and actually attained it, you know, and like knocked it out of the park, attained it. And and that felt amazing. Um, but I think like in a way with, with that dream coming true, it also kind of made me then like chase it, you know, and I, and I started getting recognition. Um, you know, I, I was a painter, struggling, starving artist, and my painting started to sell, you know, and, and stuff like that. So it just seemed like, man, this is the path. This is what I got to do. I got to keep competing. And um, maybe I can even make a career off of time spent in the water, you know, if I actually pursue this. And so I just went for it. And I just um, competed in every local co-ed tournament there was around here, um, started competing internationally. And, you know, I was doing doing good, um, but not even a year and a half later, I just realized, like, I wasn't happy again. And, um, and at the same time, it wasn't just um, within, like, the diving and the competing world and all that. I also, I also just realized that I was getting confused a lot like in my own life, in my own relationship, I was with this awesome guy who I just like, you know, swore was my like soulmate, gonna marry this guy, gonna have kids with him, like solid, solid human. Like I, he was the person who taught me what love is. And he was somebody that just supported me in everything. And and I got to a point where I just felt pretty confused in life. Like I was going through all these motions and, um, but nothing was really feeling the same. And I felt like I was getting pulled in all of these different directions, you know, um, with the traveling, with everything. And, and also just like with attraction when it came to that kind of stuff. And, and and it was just a really confusing place to be because especially i think with love i mean that was a love that i felt like i knew it with my whole heart 
You know, it's like when I found that, I just felt like, like this is this is a thing that everyone's looking for, and I've got it. You know, like I'm not much of a a prayer, but I would pray like, like please God, all I ask of you is just don't don't let this guy die, because as long as you don't do that, I've got the rest. You know, and all of a sudden one day I look up and I don't even know who I am anymore. You know, I don't I don't feel the same. I felt this thing in me kind of die and and I could just feel myself again just like being pulled in directions that I knew like weren't right and yet I could not stop myself I just was super lost and there's something about that to me where it was just like losing like a religion losing something that you believe in more than anything else you know and so basically it's got to a point where I felt like so so confused by love so confused and almost like not betrayed by it but betrayed by myself where i just felt like anything i touched like would just kind of turn turn to pain and and any connection i made i'd end, I'd end up hurting someone and um and i just i really got to a point where I just, I didn't like myself, you know, like I didn't, um, I didn't want to let myself connect or feel feelings because it just, um, made a mess. And, and that was just a really tough place to be. It was a a super dark time for me. It got to a point where like, literally I could not look at myself in the mirror because just like the voices in my head, you know, were just, were just too cruel. And yet the fact of the matter was that like, it was, it was me, you know, it was just that I, I, I felt like I couldn't, I felt issues before where you have a hard time living with a problem or a person or, or an issue. But when you, when you can't even live with yourself, when just sitting with yourself is what makes you the most sick. That's a really hard place to be. And and that's where I was when I was kind of like at the top of my competition career. And um, and and literally I hit like rock bottom inside, you know? And so I did end up, um, you know, breaking up with my boyfriend. I just got to a point where I just said, like, we keep trying and trying and, I remember one year, like, um, he reminded me that my birthday was coming up. And I'm like, my birthday is like next week? And he said, yeah. And then it just realized, like, oh, my God. I felt like I still felt like this last year on my birthday. And it just made me realize, like, if you're trying your hardest for a whole year to fix something or to make yourself feel a certain way because you once felt it, you know, you once, oh, like, it'll always live on within me. But I know that if I had tr- gave it my all and I did like I, I, um, I basically, I, I quit competing. I quit traveling. I quit doing anything that would kind of like expand my horizons because I wanted to, to tunnel vision back and focus on, on the gold that I knew I had found. And, um, and that didn't work either, you know? And so, <clears throat> and so when, um, so yeah, so, so I ended up, breaking up with my boyfriend, you know, again, I had quit competition, all that kind of stuff. And, and it was just a super hard place to be. And what really messed me up um, was that whenever I went underwater, that was when all these things would arise. And that sucked because every single moment underwater before this time in my life, it was the opposite. Like that was where I cleansed myself. That was where no matter what was bothering me on land, no matter what was stressing me out about anything, the minute my head was underwater, I wasn't thinking about it. I was just thinking about the fish. I was just thinking about the colors. I was just thinking about what was right there in front of me. And then to have that honor of having like, so much like such long period of times underwater where you're completely present oh my gosh that's just like 
the most cleansing rinse you can get of just living in the present moment for an extended amount of time. And that's what diving was to me. Um, and then one day it wasn't. And, you know, even though I knew, okay, I, I'm not going to compete anymore. There is something about competition that just wasn't really serving me, that wasn't sitting right with me. I'm not in this relationship anymore because I obviously failed at that, you know, and I just felt like the biggest quitter in the world, first of all, because I was just quitting everything that I swear I was once really good at doing a good job at. And um, um, but worse than that is even when I try to rebuild my relationship with the ocean, okay, if it's not about competition, what is it? I couldn't even perform. I couldn't even function because I would go in the water and instead of being in this blissful presence of colors and beauty, that was when every dark voice, every whatever you want to call it, you know, people say face your demons or whatever, but just every gut-wrenching pain <laughs> that was being buried down there, it would just come out and and it would just say things to me. And um, it was the place that was the most quiet, present place in the world had now become, in a way, I felt like the most tainted or the scariest or the cruelest and the loudest place in the world. And it was torture for me to go diving. And that really sucked. And um, and I had a, a good group of friends who, who basically, you know, would always just try and just like, hey, can we like, we know you're not competing anymore. It's not about training. Let's just go for a dive. Let's just go get dinner, you know? And we'd paddle out in our kayaks. And and every single time I would get in the water and again, like these tormenting feelings and voices would would be right there waiting for me. And um, I couldn't even dive the way I used to dive. Like I can't hold my breath if that's what's going on inside me. Like it is diving and free diving Free diving is such a mental thing. Free diving, in order for me to really do what I do, I have to be at such a place of zen and relaxation and a lower heart rate and calm and cool and collected and at peace, really, like in order to even allow my body to hold my breath, go to these depths and do what I do. And when there's that much going on in my head, um everything suffered. I couldn't hold my breath. I definitely could not shoot fish to save my life. Like I just, my head was not okay. And, um, and then it was a horrible downward cycle because then I would just be like, oh, well, and now I suck at what I used to be good at, you know, <laughs> because that's what happens when you quit. Like, you know, the universe gives you these talents and, and, you had everything that you could to make the most of them. And instead, you walk away and this is your punishment. No more superpowers for you. In fact, you are shit. Like, that's what it felt like, you know? And, I, and I'd and i be diving with guys that, that you know, I, I could barely even keep up with them now. And it's just like, that's, that's not how I dive. Like, I, you know, like, I swear I was good at this. And, um, and so, so it was like this really bad downward spiral where the ocean just became a very uncomfortable and discouraging place for me. Um, and, and it, it just, yeah, it was, it was a long, long, hard, slow process of, of just really having to kind of endure and reintroduce myself to things in baby steps. I started <clears throat> leaving the spirit home I started just going for swims just to look at the teeniest, tiniest little fish that would never get me a trophy or an award anywhere in competition. But these little fish were the ones that, you know, my mom and dad would catch and we grew up eating them practically like French fries, you know, and I just go visit them and remember them. And I would just take things in baby steps. And, um, and then I just remembered that this one day, um, those same guys just called me up. Come on, Kimmy. Like, let's just try it again. Let's just get you back out there, you know, and paddled out on our kayaks. Same thing. Once, once I was back in, in that realm, um, 
too many voices in my head, too much pressure on myself, too much self, self-doubt, because now I think I can't hold my breath, I can't shoot fish, you know, too many things. And I just was messing up over and over again. And then I just realized, no, like, this is not fun for me. I'm not having fun. And I'm not just going to go along with it. Like, so I just told them, I said, hey, guys, like, I appreciate what you're trying to do. And you guys can keep going. But I'm going to paddle in. Like, I'm done. You know, I'm just not having fun. And and they just you know, said, oh, Kimmy, it's okay. Like, we'll all go in, too. You know, and so we all started to to just kind of pack up our stuff. I clipped my gun to the kayak. And right when everyone got together in their kayaks, I just, for whatever reason, we had kind of drifted out into some deeper water. And I just looked down into the depth. And for whatever reason, I just said, hey, guys, like, can you just spot me? I'm just going to take one last drop. And again, no gun in my hand, nothing. And they're like, yeah, sure, go for it. You know, and I just, um, I just took this drop. And that's all it was. I just took this dive and I just swam and swam down and swam down and swam down and swam down. And finally, I just got to the bottom of the ocean. And instead of looking at fish, instead of thinking about what might swim by, I just laid on my belly in the sand and I just took my hands and I just crossed them out in front of me. And then I just put my face in the sand like I just like buried my face in the sand and I just laid there and sure enough like one at a time every single voice came and just took a swing at me and just said whatever it had to say you know you're no good you're a slut you never deserved him you're screwing up everything. You've hurt so many people. You've thrown it all away. Just everything. You're poisoned. Like just every single voice. One at a time. You used to be good. You used to be a good person. You know, I don't know you anymore. You would never do that. All these voices came and... And I felt them, and it really was just like being kicked or punched down there. But I just stayed there, and I just kept my face in the sand, and I just listened to each and every one. And for the first time, like, I think I just didn't push them away. And I just said, okay, I hear you, you know? And, you know, one at a time, it's kept coming. But after a while, <clears throat> I literally felt one at a time, they started leaving. And I just told myself, I don't care how long I have to hold my breath. Like, I am not leaving until you say everything you want to say to me. And I will stay here until you are done. And and I did. And that's just all I did. I just laid there in the sand but finally that last voice came and that last voice left and there was just something about that moment that I will never forget because it just felt like I can actually hear again and I could hear the ocean and I could hear just the sand surging back and forth and I could hear the whales singing in the distance and I could just hear all these things and then I could just feel again. And I felt how deep I must have been and how much pressure was squeezing me and like, and I missed that feeling and I just missed how I just always felt like the biggest ocean hug that the ocean was giving me. And 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 I looked up and I could see like the silhouettes of my friends so tiny, you know, looking down at me, but right beyond them I just saw the sun and that was always just my favorite part about diving was just stealing glimpses of this beautiful distorted sun just flickering and dancing and and calling you you know kind of calling you home but just like shining magic on you I mean that was my favorite I it's it has always mesmerized me and and to actually see it again 
and feel mesmerized, to feel that beauty, to feel in awe of it. It was just the most purifying feeling ever because I never knew if I was going to feel that again, you know? And just the fact that I had that, like just I had that back. I had that hug back. I had that beauty back, the admiration for that back. I, I had that quiet back. Like that was enough. I was so grateful and so relieved. And there was just something about that, about how I felt coming back up to the surface, like just just the feeling that I felt and the, the you know, feeling the ocean just around me and hugging me and sending me back up. But the fact that that love was still there, um, I just knew it was going to be okay. You know, I, I don't know what else to say. I just knew... I had a chance of it being okay. And I just got back up to the surface and I think the guys were just kind of freaked out because I have no idea how long I was down there. But as soon as I got back up, I didn't say one word. I just looked at them and I smiled and they did not say one word either. And they smiled and it was just like from that day on, we knew I was back. And, um, and that day changed everything, you know? And I'm not just saying, oh, Every day after that, I woke up just breathing sunshine and rainbows. But I mean, I guess literally I did see the light, you know, and, and now, of course, like looking back in things full circle, like it all makes sense. And I'm grateful for everything. And I'm grateful for the path that that I have found within diving, because after that was when I started realizing, like, what's really important to you, you know, and it, it really does go back to that five-year-old and it goes back to those values that my parents taught me. And it was never about competition or fame. It was about food and, and family. It was about nature and home. And, you know, so I think in a way it just, it really helped me own things and no, I don't have to run from them. I don't have to hide from them. I don't have to try and drink them away or numb myself through them like it's gonna be really hard and it's gonna hurt a lot but um but at the end of the day if you can sit with all parts of yourself and still know that you are loved like and for me that was thank you to the ocean you know like there might be times where you are confused you are lost or you don't even feel like you know yourself anymore um but I just think the biggest lesson I learned in all of that is um, is somehow, like, you need to, you need to find that space or make that space where you actually have the capacity to know that so many truths exist at the same time and that there can be these dirty, ugly, hard, painful truths but that can also be the birthplace for the biggest evolution of beauty that your life has ever experienced. So that was a day in the ocean that definitely changed my life. that moment 10 years yeah I mean it was probably like a year of suffering at its like gnarliest probably a year so yeah 10 9 10 years ago and the voices never come back oh I definitely I definitely have still have you know voices I mean I think we all have internal dialogue that's that is important for us to try and observe and be aware of what is it that we're saying to ourselves 
my brain is still often a noisy place to live, but I think I think it's just good to to acknowledge what it is that you're saying to yourself and and then realize like okay, is that is that something that really needs to be heard or or have I been just saying this on repeat? If I can actually be aware of of what I'm saying to myself like I also can choose to replace that with saying something better, you know, and or, or follow it up with saying something good because um because yeah, you know, I I think the internal dialogue will probably will probably always be there, but I think that what that ultimate rock bottom struggle has taught me is that the light will always be there too. And it is always still there, no matter how bad you feel, no matter how down you feel, no matter how much you think you don't deserve it, no matter how much, you know, you think you might have screwed up or whatever, or, you know, things just aren't cut out for you. Like, that's not true. Like, the light is always there and it is always waiting and it is always flickering and you can't see it sometimes when you're too down deep or you're like too far in your basement. But if you can just take a step towards it, if you can just look up sometimes, it's like it is there, it loves you and it's calling you home. Like that is something that I think that moment really taught me. And so that's what helps me when the voices aren't being nice. Gosh, I wonder if I'm going to sound like a crazy person on this podcast. Crazy like the rest of us. Perfect. <laughs> awesomely I'm crazy. I'm curious about that too then. Um, so you're saying that, you know, if you have a negative thought or negative commentary going on inside, you, you might follow it up with something that is more balancing, like a positive affirmation of a positive thought to balance that out. Do you also... Or have you, since that experience, gone back to the ocean in times of turbulence and gone to the bottom and and kind of used that original experience as a technique to deal with turbulent times? I definitely still use it and it, it feels so good, you know, and I... I, I mean, I have never really, like, had to totally replicate it in the sense of I don't think of like, you know, I'm here I am on a lay here face in the sand or whatever. But there's totally moments where I might be feeling lost in life where change is happening or when something really sad happens or, you know, when you're, you know, losing someone you love and, you know, my mom's been ill for a while and and so there's for sure been times even recently where it's like on land I feel myself having a hard time sitting with myself. I feel those same feelings of just simple things feeling so hard to do, you know? There's things where I know I'm not operating at my highest frequency and that my energy is not necessarily happy and that life is starting to feel like more of a struggle than it normally is. And in those times, I go to the ocean. And during those times, it is the deep that bring that that kind of lures me. I haven't really necessarily had to to duplicate it, but it's more just like to be in the deep water and and to see that color blue. Like already, some it'll trigger some sort of healing response in me that probably stemmed from that day, you know. But it'll already like trigger it. Like, oh hi, you're still here. You still love me. Cool. Like thanks. I love you too. You look beautiful today. Like really, I think that's how it feels, you know, like, um, like, Oh, I, I really miss that color blue. Like you look great. And, um, and then I'll, I'll take a drop and I'll just be like, Oh, you know, and all of a sudden I'm grateful for my body. I'm grateful for, for this vessel that is bringing me down to this place. And then again, I feel that ocean hug and I'm just like, hey, it's nice to be here, you know? It's nice to be here in you. And and then again, just coming back up and feeling my body start to expand and just all of those feelings. Like when you're diving down and, it, and you hit this point of negative buoyancy and just the ocean's just like sucking you down. There's just something about it where it's like, just you know, just 
take me. And then when you return up and you're going back up to that place where, where you have to live, you know, up there in oxygen, there's just something so cleansing to me about going back up and being able to look at the at the blue ocean, be able to look at the sun dancing and shining down and then just, you know, being able to feel this sensation of overwhelming gratitude, like just to have that feeling, just to be able to to be right there. And so I, I think in a way, yeah, ever since that day, it is something where when I need it, I'll go there and it, it triggers a lot faster. Um, but it's real. I mean, it's totally real because some days I don't even know I need it, you know, and then all of a sudden it's just like I'll just feel a lot of things release and I'll just um, feel <laughs> the love and the beauty and everything come in and it just sets me straight. A lot of us go to the ocean to reckon with fear. Has your experience been the scariest places are within you instead of outside of you? And has that been true in the ocean as well? I definitely have been in some scary situations in the ocean, you know, some currents that I couldn't swim against and super duper duper shark infested waters with with really kind of punchy sharks, you know. Obviously, I've been in the water with really, really big sharks or big predators, and all of that causes fear, and all of it becomes a situation that you have to learn to respond to. But in the ocean, that's exactly it, is somehow I have the understanding, like, this is something I must respond to. One thing I always would say about the ocean is when you feel the need to speed up, slow down, that's one thing that was said to me about free diving and that's how I've learned to harness breath hold is rather than kicking real fast you know trying to get down there sooner or rush to get you know so that you have more time it doesn't work that way you have to move slow you have to slow your heart rate you know when you feel the need to speed up that means you should be going even slower because that sensation of rushing is a reaction to fear. So anytime you feel like your oxygen is running out, you're going to start to rush, but you're reacting to fear. You know, sometimes you might see a big shark and you might start kind of swimming fast away from it. You're just reacting to fear. And just from the simple lesson of, like I said, breath hold and realizing that reacting to the fear of running out of oxygen never once in my life gave me more oxygen. You know, responding to it and actually slowing down, that would be what would lower my heart rate, what would conserve my oxygen, what would then make me see like, okay, this is how I'm going to respond to it, you know? And so the same thing applies to sharks, the same thing applies to currents, the same thing applies to whatever the ocean throws at me. I think I I have learned from it that you need to not panic. You need to, number one, You don't panic because it doesn't make anything better. And then number two, you just allow yourself to just assess it at a level of calm so that you can understand how to respond. And so now in the ocean, anytime something scary happens, it triggers this really calm state for me. And that's just an interesting thing about it. Something really scary happens. It's like, I don't really have to think about it anymore. It almost becomes this natural instinct where I see something that my intellectual mind would perceive as scary, but something deeper says, and all of a sudden it all goes calm. And then all of a sudden, instead of swimming away from the shark, I'm swimming towards the shark. Instead of trying to fight the current, I'm going to go with it. Like whatever the answer is, It usually is the opposite of what I would think it is when I'm in my panic mode. And sometimes it's just nothing. Sometimes it's not fight, not flight. It's just to stay, you know? You know, that's where I need more practice. It's not just just reacting with, you know, how something makes me feel or when something's going wrong, you know, not just reacting to it the way that, you know, you think you're supposed to or the way that maybe when we look around, we're trained that we're supposed to, but um, but actually giving you a moment, yourself a moment to say, okay, what can I learn from this? 
how can I respond to this? Wow, that's such a fascinating insight. It's you. You almost sound like, um, you know, a monk that goes to a cave and meditates, you know, in the snow, when they're in their their fully ordained robes and not like you know Patagonia snow gear or anything like <laughs> that. And they're sitting there in this hardship, in this cold, isolated place. But they're learning how to adapt to these hardships. And but then coming back into the the everyday mundane world and having to apply those experiences, those breakthroughs, those points of view to daily life. And it just sounds amazing that you have these experiences that you can go and have these experiences and then come back and do your best to incorporate them into these daily human-to-human experiences. Because they're everywhere. I mean, they really are. And again, like... I'm definitely, you know, not an enlightened monk or anything. <laughs> and, and I struggle with with things every single day. But at least to have those blueprints where you can recognize the truth in them, it does, it does help, you know, it does help strengthen those same natural instincts on land, I believe. And because it really does apply no matter what it is, no matter if it's your own crazy thoughts or whether it's somebody treating you poorly or, or even just whether it's like you're late for work and you can't find your keys. It's just reacting to any of the situations out of a panicked state. It's not going to help you. You know, you're just going to start throwing stuff around and you're not even going to see your keys. Like if you, if someone's really rude to you or mean to you. And if you let your emotions, you know, or, or your self-talk then start being dictated by the panic of, if you're not a good person or no one likes you, that's not going to get you anywhere good either. I just think that somehow coming to a place of of calm and of just responding over reacting, you know, when you know that you're not panicking. And if you are panicking, then just wait, you know, just just try and give yourself some time. Was that amazing aquatic instinct developed over time or was that just inherent in you were in the ocean? I think my my dad really drilled it into me. When I was really small, he'd always swim out to this one reef on Maui, and I would always start swimming with him. I mean, this was in the very beginning before I started tagging along on his dives. I mean, like, his gnarlier dives, because our normal dives back then were, like, we'd climb down this cliff on the North Shore in Haiku, and I'd be on his back and we'd jump off just into pretty much deep water that made me feel small already. And then we would drift dive all the way down to another bay where my mom would pick us up. But before we started doing that, I had to first just like swim with him from the sand to this reef that was really close. And the water in between the sand and the reef didn't even get like 20 feet. But still, when you're four feet. 20 feet's a big deal. And so, um, so yes, I just remember I'd always swim with him. And then the minute I would get to a point where I couldn't touch, even if it was just sandy bottom, I could see it, I would just start to panic. And I would just be like, I don't know how to swim, you know? And I would just start to go under. My dad would always grab me, throw me on his back, and finish up the swim so we could just go to the reef and hang out on this reef. Um, oh, but he'd always tell me. He'd say, Kimmy, just need to relax. He's like, that's all you have to do is just relax. Like, you're panicking. And I'd say, no, I, I just I can't swim in that part, you know. And he'd say, if you can swim in three feet of water, you can swim in 3,000 feet of water. That's the way it works. Like, it's in your head and you need to relax. And so, so basically, one day, swimming, sure enough, came to a point where I couldn't touch, started to panic, started to drown, waited for my dad to pick me up and throw me on his back. Dad kept kept swimming, you know, and he just left me. And I just remember, you know, bobbing up to the surface, screaming, Dad, taking in water in my mouth, going under again. And he just kept swimming. And then and then the reef was, was really pretty close. And so then he like gets up and he's sitting on the reef looking at me just kind of like putting his hands up like are you serious you know and I was like up and down dad dad like screaming and panicking to the point where this woman from the beach who was holding a baby literally came out to try and save me but I was in a part that was just a little too deep for her because she had a baby in her arms and she couldn't quite grab me and right when she was trying I remember like going under for like what felt like the last time in my brain. And as soon as I was underwater, it was so weird. Like I'll never forget this because it just clicked. I just heard my dad's voice 
say, just relax and remember how to swim. Because that's what he'd always say to me every other time prior. But I just heard him say it. Just relax and remember how to swim. And in that moment, for whatever reason, it just clicked. And I just took a moment and I relaxed. And I started to swim. And then I swam. And I feel so bad for that lady. But like, just swam. And so I'm all the way to my dad. And when I got there, I was so mad at him. And he was so proud of me. But honestly, from that day on, I never forgot how to swim. Like as a kid, I think in a way that was like what I had to do if I was going to come on those other dives with him. And he'd always, you know, he had his own way of playing tricks on me to teach me things like that. Like I remember I was afraid of sharks. Um, You know, oh, dad, like when we get in the water, it's so deep. And I know they're sharks. Like, and he'd be, and he'd, yeah, they're probably over. You know, and um but when the fear of sharks started kind of getting to me, um, I remember one time, you know, he'd have my mom, my mom would drop us off on the top of these cliffs. And that's when we would go down and she would meet us at another beach further down the coast. But I remember one time my mom came to drop us off. Like my dad, like just like really dramatically looked at me and wiped his forehead and goes, Whoo, man, don't you feel good, Kim? I'm like, what? He's like, I mean, we just got through the most dangerous part of our day. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, oh, the car ride. He's like, you realize that, right? Like everything we're going to do now, climbing down the cliff, like getting in the water, maybe like seeing the sharks, whatever, like, oh, that's easy. Like, like we just, we should celebrate. We just got through the most dangerous part of our day, the car ride. Like, come on, let's go. It's all downhill from here. And like he then he started he started doing that literally every single time we got to the cliffs. And even though I could totally see through it, I knew he was like playing pretend with me. I knew he was being my dad and trying to trick me into something, you know, is what I felt like. But then on repeat, it actually started to make sense. And like and then after a while I started to recognize like even if he's sounds so silly, I think he's telling the truth. I think we did just make it through the most dangerous part of our day. And I do that every day. And so, yeah, I think it was uh, my dad that truthfully like ingrained that type of reaction or response into me of just take a moment, relax, and then flip the way you're looking at it. I mean, that's really, I think, what it is, you know? Like, instead of just doing what you're supposed to do, instead of just thinking what you're supposed to think, oh, the cliff part is dangerous, the shark's part is dangerous, give yourself a moment, don't panic, don't go to those panic thoughts, and whatever it is that you're afraid of, just give yourself an inch of space to have the capacity for a new perspective and try to flip that around and see if it makes sense looking at it from another angle, you know? And I think that's that's what it's really come to with things like, like yeah, like with how to respond to sharks. It's usually the opposite of what your fear tells you to do, you know? And, and, and same with probably most things in life. So, yeah, but it was, it was my dad that would always slow things down, flip it on its head, and say, come on, let's go. <laughs> that's great. So when you've got a super dirty kitchen and you're looking at dis- dishes everywhere and you're like, oh, I'm starting to panic here, you flip it and you don't do any cleaning. You just walk <laughs> out and leave it to someone else to do. Stuff like that. You can apply it to everyday stuff. Oh, gosh. Uh, Is that what you're saying? That's kind of what I'm looking at. I'm thinking, that's oh, what I do. Now. <laughs> yeah. so... I can do that all the time. I, I should mow the lawns on the property, but... Oh, hang on a sec. I have a little breather. Nah, I'll just do <laughs> Yeah, um, Justin would probably attest that that's exactly what I do. Um, but, oh, wow. but no, I do think, though, that, that there is for sure, like, a lot of times in life where there's um, a time and place where it honestly is okay to say, no, I don't need to do this. Life will go on if I don't do this. And and that's something that I still learn when it comes to, you know, work or emails or stuff like that sometimes, you know, and I'm not trying to just like be an advocate for irresponsibility, but I do think that we don't give ourselves enough permission sometimes to play because then when you do come back, you'll probably be a lot more efficient at writing that email, you know, or doing those dishes because you're a fulfilled human being. And I don't know, I think happiness is... um 
is really a big part of of being able to to do a good job. A beautiful area where we have seen you put that into practice, that pause moment and reassessing is with your food, like that decision that you keep making when it comes to where is this meal coming from, how has it arrived here in this setting, you know, and who are you sharing it with, uh, and all those meaningful decisions. That seems like such a beautiful turnaround that you have yeah, shared with so many people through your travels, you know, and, and the way you did that with us when you came through Australia and our Northern Rivers region a while ago really impacted a lot of people in our mm-hmm. circles. Would you say that that is one of those moments in your life where you pause and you reassess? Oh, yes. Like that is, it's such therapy for me. It is, um, I don't know, I, I mean, I believe that as humans, you know, as, as being a part of this species, that's like one of our human-born rights is to is to know where food comes from. And, you know, if you look at just every other animal in the animal kingdom, that's like the first thing you learn just about, or where do these things come from? You know, where do we get water from? Where do we get our meal from? Where do we get our shelter from? And I just, you know, I do think it's really <clears throat> funny that in our species, we now call those like primitive survival skills, you know? And it's just like, what? Like, that's, that's, that's our sense of belonging right there. You know, that's, that's, that's our connection to this world that we live in. That's what feeds us and keeps us alive. And in a way, I think we've all just been so programmed into this machine of, of mass consumerism that we're almost trained like to think, oh, no, 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 no. You're not supposed to think about those things. Like You just, you just buy it from us. Here, here it is. Like, don't ask where it came from. Don't ask any of the details behind it. Or if you do, we'll make it really hard for you to even find that out because we just want you to buy it. And I don't know, I just think like, obviously most of us know that's not the healthiest for our planet. And it's really good to ask these questions about what's in your food, how was it grown? How was it raised? How did it get to my plate? That kind of stuff, like in terms of like caring for the natural environment and wanting our environment to thrive. But I also think that it's it's truly a sense of self that when we don't start doing that too, we're depriving ourselves um, a lot of magic. I, I mean, I could speak for myself personally of what it feels like to just see something that came, you know, straight from the source. But I also see it with children, you know, like with humans. You put some people around a campfire, something happens. You know, they get fixated on this thing. You know, you pull a carrot out of the ground, show it to a kid. It's amazing, right? And it's all of these things. And yet, um, and yet it's so interesting to me that a lot of the times when it comes to these daily, you know, I don't even want to say habits because they're needs, we flick on a light and now that fire just comes out of this thing. I don't have to figure out how it got there. You know, we turn on a faucet and water comes out of this thing. You know, you go to the store and there's a piece of fish wrapped up in plastic. You know, no eyes, no nothing to look at that even says it was once an animal. But you just know that as your food. And that's a thing, you know. But I kind of just think that as human beings, those things, those primitive survival skills are really, they're our actual needs and they're what connects us to this greater system that we're a tiny part of. And there's something so beautiful about exploring that connection. And I'm not saying, oh, we all have to go, you know, live in the bushes and make fires and find our own water or dive and get our own fish. Like, no, like, like we don't. I'm very grateful for these modern technologies and, and whatnot. But I just think that just because you don't have to know where something comes from, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't know, you know? And I always just say like, you know, what if people were to bottle up love and sell that on the shelf? Are we going to forget how to use our hearts? Because that would really suck too. And in a way, that's what's happened is we we forget this ancestral knowledge, this, this natural knowledge, these natural instincts that are a part of our makeup 
we forget them and become part of this system. And I do believe that's why sometimes we might feel like there's something missing or we might feel a little unfulfilled or there might be a hole within us and we can try and fill that with money or job status or cars or you know material things or things that we're told that we should want or that we do need when they're not really needs at all and and again we buy into a world that says you know the more connected you are to the source of those the more savage or primitive you are and the more disconnected you are the more civilized you are and it's just like I think, again, taking the time to flip that script and question it a little bit can really lead to some to some happy, happy moments. And then to be able to turn around and share this tangible form of love. This is nature. We're going to put this in our body. It's nature. Like, again, going back to that day in the ocean, you know, nature is something that ultimately became love for me when I couldn't find it anywhere else. And so really, like you take your own love and you take nature and you put it together and you have a meal and now you and your friends are going to put this in your body. Like that's a pretty darn special thing, you know? 100%. (laughs) We do know because we've, we've tasted your we've food. We've tasted it. <laughs> it tastes like love. 100%. such a dynamic person. She just holds all of these contrary qualities all at once. She's so seemingly invincible, but then she's so warm and soft and loving and generous. And then she's, yeah. yeah, she's so fierce and capable and powerful and has a huge presence in the water, you know, swimming with big sharks. And then she can also tuck behind heads of coral and mm-hmm. wait to stock out big fish to take home to eat and use every bit of them. I just love what a dynamic person she mm-hmm. is. I find her so inspiring. There's nothing one-dimensional about Kimmy Warner. Yeah, and speaking about inspired, for me, the sentiment she was sharing about doing a 180 and you know, having these intense experiences in the water where the first moment is, oh, you know, flee or or to, um, you know, rush for the surface or whatever it is and just to, to do a 180 with that when she was sharing that, to me that's something, of course, that I have felt in surfing. And so when she was saying that, it really reminded me of, Actually, some of the first times I surfed in Tahiti with um, with Andy, with Andy Irons, when we were filming Blue Horizon, I remember sitting there and there was one in particular morning where it was pretty solid and it was pretty early days of bigger chopu. And um, I remember sitting there and we would joke about having to like hold the line, you know, like a set comes and your first reaction is to paddle out because you feel like you're going to get cleaned up on the reef if you don't paddle out. But you literally just have to sit and hold your position and do the exact opposite of what you're thinking <laughs> you should do. And then when the wave comes and you've held your position, when you do turn to paddle, you'll actually be under the lip and scooping into the pit, one of the best barrels of your life, instead of being on the lip and being pitched into the flats. And so that was really cool to hear her talk about the diving equivalent of that. And uh, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate their own version of that experience, of flipping a scenario for your benefit. And uh, I loved the way she wrapped that up and shared that in such an insightful way, you know, because it's a a fast moment. Those moments are really quick and it's easy to skim over them, perhaps, but with her considerate mind and and really curious nature, it's really great to just hear such reflection and insight 
Yeah, she really spoke to me about reckoning with fear and honing the skill set of flipping that script, like you were saying, like honing that as a muscle, using that muscle over and over again so that your body learns to be calm in fear-inducing situations. Mm. So with Kimmy's words in our minds, that's a huge thanks to her and her hospitality and opening up her story and her space for us and a huge thanks for your ears and your uh, attention and tuning in to this conversation. You can learn more about Kimmy at KimmyWerner.com or on Instagram at Kimmy underscore Swimmy. Special thanks always to our sound engineer and musical guru, Shannon Soul Carroll. You can find his music via shannonsoulcarroll.bandcamp.com and learn more about his gigs and musical activism on Instagram at Shannon Soul Carroll. Two L's. On behalf of myself, Lauren Hill, and my partner in rhyme, Dave Rastovich, thank you so much for making the time to listen with us. We'll be continuing the conversation on Instagram, where we're at Water People Podcast. You can find show notes and links from each episode on our website, waterpeoplepodcast.com.